This is Melanie Ake, your host for Everyday Leaders 50 and 50 podcast. Everyday Leaders is an inspirational show to help you develop strategies to overcome everyday obstacles in your life. Today on Everyday Leaders, you'll meet Teresa Quinlan, an expert coach in emotional intelligence, whose passion is to teach us how to use our intelligence and become empathetic leaders in our lives. Teresa's authentic spirit is such an inspiration, and today I celebrate her as an everyday leader who is changing the world. Start your personal growth journey today, where you can learn how to be an everyday leader in your life. Go to everydayleaders.com. Register for personal growth and development classes so you can develop your own strategies to be a leader in your life. If you're ready for one-on-one accountability, I will walk beside you as your personal coach to help you gain clarity and perspective to lead your life and career as an everyday leader. If you're ready to develop your spiritual growth, you can gather with us for the Everyday Leaders Leadership Devotionals. We meet every day at 7.30 a.m. And we apply these leadership lessons and values to our everyday lives. Go to everydayleaders.com and become a leader that can change the world. Everyday Leaders 50 and 50, Teresa Quinlan, founder of IQ plus EQ equals TQ. Thank you for joining today, Teresa. Thank you for having me. This is great. I love to take people on a journey, first of all, how we connected. I have been a big fan of yours for a long time on LinkedIn. And for people that know LinkedIn, they also see you almost every single day posting great information about growth on emotional intelligence. And we connected at an event last December with David McLennan and talking about emerging leaders. And the first presentation, you got up and really mesmerized our entire audience about emotional intelligence. So thanks for coming on today and sharing with the listeners really what this is about and how it can help us in our leadership journey. You're welcome. It's, you're right. It's a, it's a mesmerizing topic in and of itself. And I think that stems from the place of it has such a broad application. And I think that people find that really intriguing. It is intriguing. And and for you, you know, people get afraid of media or they're terrified to kind of step into uh, social media and, and do a video and talk about what they're learning and experiencing. You're one of these people that have become really a leader on LinkedIn media because you are teaching people, you're leading people with these experiences of here's what I've learned, here's how I want to help you. You have forums for guests that you're interviewing. And so you're, you're a big kind of, um, <laughs> I want to say celebrity, <laughs> but it, you're somebody to follow because all the ideas that you have, it's from what you've learned 
as a leader with your own team and that you're really applying and getting feedback and helping us through that process. So the application is so critical to what you say, hey, try this and it may work for you too. Mm-hmm. I, I'm pretty sure based on what I know of you as well, is that when we're human to human, we really quickly realize that we all have experiences that we can resonate with in that it may not have been exactly the same way for you, but it was pretty darn close, either the exact story or the way you felt or something you had said or something someone else had said to you. So part of the story resonates with you. And I think that's what people really gravitate towards any content that I'm producing is they see themselves reflected in it. And so then they're willing to listen to the, well, okay, how did she navigate through that? Mm-hmm. And, you know, the storytelling is a big part because it paints the picture for people to be hooked in and be able to see themselves in it so that then they're willing to listen to the second part, which is, so this is what that is in EQ and how you can go about developing it so you can be better. Because I really believe everyone wants to be better. Sometimes we just need someone else to shine the flashlight or the spotlight or the beacon in order for us to grab on and go, oh, I'm going to try that. Isn't that true? And I think when you're talking So many people say, oh, it's deja vu. Oh, yeah, I remember a time when that happened. Or you'll you'll go to start do something and think, was I just thinking about that? And because it's our mindset, right? We get into that right mindset and now we're thinking, how can we grow bigger? How can we connect to the people that we need to? And I think that's what this emotional intelligence is starting to really speak about that many people haven't experienced yet. They say, oh, I'll take an IQ test. But this emotional intelligence, how we're really showing up and being sensitive to others and really being aware of how others are accepting us or or how we're speaking into our journey, right? Um, because all of these things now virtually, I want to talk to you about what's changed from COVID-19 because your work groups may look differently. And so what is what are you teaching people? What are you learning about people through the emotional intelligence side of, of teams and leadership and development? Mm. A lot. And then also nothing new, if that makes sense. (laughs) Yep. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. It's just amplified. Mm -hmm. So I think the main difference through COVID is more people are experiencing the same thing, which gives it the stage. And so individuals are much more willing to pay attention to it because it's a united experience. Um, It's like when we talk about things like diversity and empathy, these things are so important because we want people to feel included. And yet it's very difficult for us to execute on those kinds of things. Our own emotions sort of get in the way. Now we're in a place where much more, of our experiences or many more of our experiences are really similar between us. And so those skills around understanding each other and wanting to give space for people to explain how they're feeling and manage through those things, seemingly people are much more understanding because they're also experiencing the same thing. So what I'm seeing a lot more of is that leaders um, are in a position that is much 
more closely related to what their direct reports are in. And what I mean by that is, you know, when we're in the physical space of a workplace, oftentimes our leaders are pulled into conversations with their leaders. If a change is coming down the pipe or a project is coming on the board and leaders get the heads up, they get the time to adjust to what is coming up. They get the advanced notification to start to move themselves through the change management curve of, oh, shock and denial and frustration. And okay, so now I'm in the valley of despair as I wrap my head around it. And then I'm moving into experimentation and integration into the new way. And what we're finding a little bit more now is that time has collapsed. Leaders are often finding out at the same time as their direct reports need to find out. And so our leaders are emotionally experiencing at the same time as their direct reports. And this creates for our leaders a little bit more of a challenge in being able to move forward at the same time. They're not getting that buffer period to get themselves straight. And there's definitely pros to that experience and cons to that experience. Because the pros are, oh, now I know what my people are going through so I can empathize with them and do the right kinds of things to understand them, understand their perspective and help them move through by me being transparent. The con is not many leaders are emotionally intelligent enough to manage themselves in the moment and so how they communicate, how they're being with their people might be rubbing them the wrong way. And so they're not as effective as a leader. Mm-hmm. And that is so important because as we join back together after these challenging experiences over the last few months, you know, people are trying to get back to their normal. And they mm-hmm. say, great, well, there's going to be a lot, of, a lot of decisions that are being made in companies about changes that have to occur, maybe to just survive. And so you're right, the leaders that are experiencing the decisions and have to roll that out at the same time and don't have that kind of buffer, if you will, to be able to process Mm it. Uh, Walk us through, how do you encourage someone that is a leader in that kind of a role? Well, one of the things I think is really important is our communication, our, and emotional intelligence is called our emotional expression, like our willingness to openly express verbally and non-verbally how we're feeling about something. And it perhaps, this is a really good time because it's teaching leaders that that kind of expression of our emotions is a critical piece of the information that our people actually need. And before we may not have been including it. And so it leaves a gap between us and our people because our people sometimes experience that we don't understand them because we don't feel the same way that they do. We're not impacted in the same way that they're impacted. So there's this gap that exists. By collapsing time and not giving as much of a heads up, Leaders now have the opportunity to lean into actually sharing and verbalizing their emotional experience in a way that is productive. I certainly don't mean that leaders now start talking about, you know, I'm frustrated by this and this company sucks and nobody here gets it right. Like, no, (laughs) we have to understand our emotions and regulate them very well. But saying something like, I'm frustrated because... I feel like we haven't quite moved on from our last change before this new one. 
And so, you know, I get a little frustrated when that happens. But what I'm thinking about is I know that I adapt well to change once I step into that process and I get actually really excited. That frustration helps me to focus. It helps me to get rid of the noise, get rid of the nice to do and really focus on the need to do. So T, when you're frustrated, what does it help you to do? How does that emotion help you to move forward? Mm -hmm. And all of a sudden now we have a leader who's demonstrating how to use their emotional information in a productive way. But that only comes from emotional self-awareness, understanding how our emotions do impact us and how they impact other people and harnessing the power of each emotion by knowing when it helps us and when it hinders us. Until we get into the depths of understanding ourselves that way, our emotional intelligence might be a little inconsistent. Like in some situations, we may clearly know how it impacts us and others. And in other situations, we're kind of unaware. And that emotional intelligence journey is all about gaining the skills in balance with each other under any situation with any emotional undertone. That's so important for all of us, you know, even in a workforce, but with social environments right now, you know, our communities and, and any affiliations that we are trying to support or advance, I think of nonprofits, right, asking for uh, the community and sponsorships and, and donor grant processes, like everybody that can show up and understand this part of who they are and giving themselves kind of that freedom to say, okay, this is what it is, and let's move forward using our strengths. And, uh, and having that grace, I think, is... Uh, what you kind of have seen or can watch people go through that are becoming better leaders with this section of emotional intelligence. And uh, a lot of people, again, are trying to study it, but I think you have kind of mastered the way that you teach it, the way that you encourage people to kind of step into um, just taking a breath and saying, okay, this is what we need to do next, and we are all a part of this together. And, and really having the leaders um, come to the table with their team. And I think that's kind of what is different than maybe has been in the last 20 years, right? The leader has a position and a title. And so they, uh, they're going to just direct instead of doing it on the same plane, doing it together, and really leading from the pack. And I think that's what I've heard you talk about so many times and it really is just becoming a part of instead of directing. And, and so, you know, people closing their eyes right now say, yeah, I've, I've had that boss or I've had that team member. And so what if they could learn emotional intelligence? What if we could all just learn this together uh, and become better and understand and be more aware? So mm-hmm. it's really, it's really critical today in the workforce. And uh, talk to me about, you know, the things that you're developing with your team, Teresa, uh, what does that look like for, you know, new, um, I guess, new team members? How do you take them through that process to kind of learn their own emotional intelligence? Hmm. Such a a great question, Melanie, because it's really critical that quote unquote, teaching someone emotional intelligence 
comes from modeling what emotional intelligence is and how you execute it. So if I'm in a leadership role and we just take that word lead, then I must be consistent in my behavior. An emotional intelligence skill set allows us to consistently show up with things like a balance of empathy and assertiveness, a balance of optimism and reality testing, a balance of impulse control and emotional expression. It allows us to any situation, any per, any people, any event, any amount of stress, any amount of uncertainty, I am going to be rock solid. When I demonstrate those things, what I do as a leader is I set the climate for it to exist with other people. By doing so in that climate, anytime I recognize someone is floating outside of that climate, meaning they're demonstrating toxic behaviors, I have to call them on it immediately. And quote unquote, calling them on it is done with emotional intelligence. By knowing my people really well, what do they look like when they're firing on all cylinders and they're managing their stress well and they're playing to their strengths? What do they look like when they're doing that? Do they even know what they look like when they're doing that? Mm -hmm. So when people are onboarded into our teams, we have to figure those things out and we can do it by observing them, but we, we do it more so by asking them, by building a relationship with them. Now, tell me about the last time that you had a project that didn't go well. It failed because of something that you did or didn't do. How did you recover from that failure? What did it look like when you failed? Like, how did you show up to work? What were you doing when you went home? How were you sleeping? I need people to tell me these things because I want to get to know you as fast as possible so that when I see the behaviors that you describe are when you're spiraling out of control, I can call you on them and say, hey, I noticed today you're off. And, and perhaps then I give the observations that I've seen. I notice you're quiet. You haven't been engaging in our team Slack channel or communications. Um, I, I've noticed your mood and your energy is low, like you're slouching, you're not smiling like you normally do. What's up? And I give them the opportunity to share with me what's going on. It might be something that's happening in the workplace. It might be something that just is occurring in a life place. And by giving that opportunity for them to say, I'm so frustrated, this peer, this coworker, they didn't get me the stuff that I needed. I'm tired of trying to badger them for it. You know, and they might go off the rails. In leadership, sometimes we assume that this means we have to step in and fix it all, but it doesn't. I mean, that's a great way to burn yourself out as a leader is to step in and try and fix everything. But it also makes you a leader who believes that they're indispensable. So it's really a negative type of behavior to have as a leader. Your worth um, is not based on fixing everything for everyone. Your worth as a leader is in being able to hold your tongue and then turn on all of your coaching skills and ask question after question to understand and to guide that person to find out what is the source of your frustration? How are you managing that right now? How is it helping you? How is it hindering you? What's the next thing you would like to do? How can you strengthen the relationship with this person so that you can do those kinds of things? What would you do next time to avoid perhaps so missing some of the early signals that something was not going well. And so as a leader, what we do is we 
ask the questions that we would normally have asked ourselves in our own emotional intelligence journey. We ask them out loud in coaching. What that does to the employee, the direct report, the peer, anyone we do it with really, is they begin to hear us ask these questions time and time and time again, whenever we're in a discussion with them, they learn how to adopt these questions on their own. Sometimes they have to stop coming to us to talk it out. They start doing it on their own. And soon what we see as a leader is we see people who are growing their emotional intelligence and becoming self-sufficient. This is the true mark of a leader is they develop their people in ways that their people didn't even think were going to happen. Oh, I thought you were going to teach me how to design online learning. I thought you were going to teach me how to be a great salesperson. Mm, turns out you've taught me how to be an emotionally intelligent, self-sufficient individual. Mm. Wow. And that's powerful. Mm -hmm. Because those are life skills, right? Those are, that's something that you take anywhere with you. And, and just by being a great listener, a great coach, becoming aware of everything that kind of needs to happen and, uh, and and just showing up for them. And I think a lot of times, you know, in environments you say, okay, so if a new person comes in, and the reason that I ask you that is because you see a lot of these companies developing new ideas or people are starting companies now because they're inspired, hey, I want to I start this. I think this is a gap in our society. And they're building teams. And they say, well, I can micromanage the process because if I do that, then they're going to act exactly as I need them to show up instead of what you've led us through is really letting people develop and grow so that they can be strong within their own confidence to say, this is what I believe I need to do instead of mm -hmm. this is what I've been instructed to do, right? That's yes. huge, huge. It is huge. In, you know, one of the things that I've discovered in leading other people in this way is that what it also allows them to do is decide if this is the right place for them, if this is the right job for them. Because along that journey of exploration, you allow people to uncover what their strengths are, what their purpose is, what they're passionate about. And through this process, people will figure out if this is the right place for them, and then they will dedicate their learning time, their energy, their enthusiasm towards that, just as much as they will find out this isn't the right job for me. It turns out that this is not the role that leverages my strengths. This might be the right company, wrong role. Mm -hmm. And now because I have a strong relationship with you and I know that you've got my back, I will go to bat for you every single time and I won't let you down. And that also means I'm going to come to you and say, I can't give you everything that you need in this job, in this particular role. I'd like to stay with the company. This is the kind of role I think that would really allow me to flourish in my strengths and give the company and you what it needs. Or, you know, I'm going to have to leave and go find something else. <laughs> but that's a lot but of it really, yeah, it's sorry, just go ahead. fear. You know, it, I think about these things and thinking about our own careers, you know, how many times that as we were beginning something new to think, wow, but what if I am able to do that and how fearful that might be because there's a trust that you build, right, with your inner circle mm -hmm. of people on your team. And so if I fail, will that look awful? Will I be judged? 
right, by trying something that I may not have done before, or maybe I don't trust my supervisor. And so I think this whole emotional intelligence, like it goes both ways. You have to have the right component of the people, the leaders, the, um, you know, the conversation to know that that is really consistent in people showing up and not just, you know, we're going to talk about this. And then I'm going to tell you that this is what we want to do. And then never really support that in your actions. And I think that's what I got from you too, when I heard you in December is really understanding, you know, you have to be consistent in what you say and what you do. And that builds the trust that then really can help you develop an amazing team and the team under them and the team under them because you pass it on. Yes. A lot of times I think where we get confused around trust is we, we need to establish trust first. Mm -hmm. And, you know, so I'm going to build trust with you and then I'm going to, you know, do some work with you and whatnot where trust is the byproduct of all of these things. Mm -hmm. And so when we think about if I show up authentic, transparent in who I am, how I'm feeling, what my strengths are, what my weaknesses are, how I'm growing, how I'm developing, what I think about something, all of my experience, if I show up transparent as an individual, a leader, whatever role I happen to be in, what that does is it enables psychological safety to exist. Mm -hmm. Because Hey, look, everybody, I'm good with me. I have a healthy level of self-esteem. So you're safe here to also share with me your strengths, your weaknesses, your feelings, your emotions, your ideas, your experiences. And when I am consistent in, as a leader, in inviting those ideas, listening to them, in healthy assertiveness and challenge, in allowing people to explore, fail, learn, reflect, allowing them to do those kinds of things while still holding the expectation bar where it needs to be. <laughs> because we can't avoid that. After all, it is business. There's bottom line metrics to be achieved. But we can go about it in this way that that type of consistency rooted in authenticity, in values, in humanness, <laughs> means that trust will grow. And I don't get to decide that as a leader, when someone will trust me. They decide when that happens. When I've been consistent enough for them, they will decide that trust is now existing between you and I. It's a finicky thing, isn't it? Trust. Mm -hmm. It is a we, finicky thing. It could take forever for us to do the things that deposit into someone's trust bank. And we have no idea how many deposits we need to make for them to go, okay, good. Sometimes it's one deposit and they're like, look, all I needed you to do was show up and say, you care about me. I'm all in. Whereas someone else might need months and months of consistent deposits to go, okay, now I've seen you be consistent. Now I can trust you. Mm -hmm. And then the same thing in that for some people you could break that trust over and over and over again and they're still willing to give it to you where others you break it once and it's never reestablishable. you know we can close our eyes and think about someone that has broken our trust and we take that now into the workplace and we think how did that change our relationship 
how did that change our belief about what we wanted to do, how much energy we wanted to commit to our workspace and our environment and our relationships, Mm -hmm. right? It just changes everything. And so you work so hard to build this. You have to kind of have your inner circle in your teams to say the momentum is going to build from this and then do everything you can to protect that, right? That's... uh, that's this whole like IQ. So you have the intelligence to be able to show up like that. So mm-hmm. now get the heart part of it right, right? Get the emotions in it <laughs> so that yeah. you can really be strong and and be complete. And so with what you're teaching, um, so organizations that, that are um, experiencing, you know, difficulties and um, it, because we all go through challenges and nothing is you know, the only thing that's constant is change. And so, mm-hmm. so we know people come, people go. There are growth patterns in in, uh, in companies. And so we've got to always be on top of this. This isn't like a one and done, right? You can't mm-hmm. just build this and say, okay, so this is the template for it. You just follow this process. It really does take the human side of the compassion and the understanding because we all bring our own lives into groups. And so we have to really, that awareness, that sense of awareness of compassion is where this all comes from. And, you know, I I really kind of think in parallel, what you teach is like Simon Sinek. And I say that because I followed him for a long time and how he speaks about, you know, starting with why and find your why and understanding that human component to everything that we speak about and how to be just empathetic in the world. Do you find that? Do you follow Simon Sinek? What's your opinion on, you know, kind of his beliefs and and what you're teaching? Yeah, I love Simon. I love his work. I love the way that he articulates it. I love the way that he demonstrates how purpose, intention, humanity, gratitude, leadership. I love how he is able to describe it in ways that really make sense on an emotional level to us. Mm-hmm. We, I think when you listen to him, if you're not emotionally uh, triggered in a good way by what he's saying, then you're missing what he's saying. Mm-hmm. Because his stuff is not rooted in our intellect. It's not rooted in how smart we are. When you say, you know, we work so hard to create these climates, that's like an oxymoron. Mm-hmm. We, it actually is not difficult for us to have compassion for other people. <laughs> what might be difficult is that we don't have self-compassion. And so extending it beyond ourselves becomes something that difficult. that is difficult. Anyone who steps in leadership needs to have a genuine caring for other human beings. And if we don't have that, it's going to be hard to lead and care for other people. And caring for other people begins with, do I even care about myself? Mm-hmm. So a lot of a lot of this stuff, when I'm working one-to-one with an executive or I'm working with an executive team or I'm working with a group of leaders in an organization or just running a workshop with them, is the learning of emotional intelligence from the self perspective. Stop worrying about what's going on around you. Let's just bring it in for a minute. And if you want to call it selfish, knock yourself out. But self-care 
by tapping into what are my emotions? Why am I experiencing them? What's triggering? What beliefs and thoughts live underneath those things? How and where and when and from whom did I learn this? Who perhaps demonstrated it for me? And then how are those things showing up today and getting in my way of connecting with other people, of being able to make decisions? What's getting in my way so then I interrupt people? And I think I'm being assertive, but really what I'm being is passive aggressive or what I'm really being is aggressive. Or perhaps I'm incapable of doing any of it because I am so stressed out and I don't know how to cope with stressful situations because I have low self-regard. I don't have a healthy esteem for myself. There are so many elements of emotional intelligence that work together. And when you look at an emotional intelligence model, especially the EQI 2.0 model by Ruven Baran, you know, it's flat on a piece of paper. Mm-hmm. So it looks like it's a one-dimensional thing. And, you know, IQ-wise, we look at that and we go, okay, this skill, these three skills leads to the next skill and the next skill, but it doesn't work that way. We have to bring the model off the page. We have to think of emotional intelligence as a living, breathing, dynamic piece of us, of our intelligence. And when we start to look at it in that capacity, we start to see how different things about how we were raised, what we experienced, what we believe in, amplify emotional experiences that are rooted in sometimes just reactions to things, reactions to triggers. And we, have, we are stuck in a cycle of, I felt something, and normally when I feel that, these are the things I think about. And when I think about these things, they amplify that feeling which just leads me to think about those things more and it amplifies the feeling more. And soon I go from frustrated to like a heavy, intense, irritated to now I'm mad. And then in, in less than 60 seconds, I go from frustration to livid. And then I'm wondering, why am I yelling at these people? And sometimes we catch ourselves in the behavior, almost like a third person observer. Mm-hmm. And and we're, we're doing the behavior, we're yelling, we're name calling, we're flying off the rails, we're out of control. And the third person observer of us is going, what are you doing? Like, just stop yelling. And yet the person who is us that is yelling is like, I can't stop myself from yelling or whatever sort of um, toxic emotional volcano is happening. It's really quite a dynamic thing when we consider the emotional intelligence journey is that that third person observer is your awareness. That's your emotional self-awareness is you're looking in and you're going, wow, look at that. That, that is something else that's going on right now. And the piece that's missing that needs to be developed is the emotional management. So I now I'm aware that this is happening. How do I regulate it? How do I manage it Mm -hmm. so I can start to shift the behavior? And that means we have to interrupt the cycle that we're in. Until we interrupt the cycle we're in, the behavior can't change. And so what does that mean? Generally means we have to challenge our belief patterns. We have to challenge the things that we were taught. We have to challenge the things that we think are absolutes. Until we start to challenge them, we can't give ourselves a different emotional response. Mm. And until we don't give ourselves a choice in our emotions, we will continue to behave 
in the same way. Mm-hmm. What do they say? Doing the same things over and over is called insanity, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Why can't I get any better? Right. You're not doing any of the work to get better. Right. And we can't expect different outcomes if we're not willing to change something. And you know, we as leaders talk so many words, right? We have so many like, okay, use this challenge word, use courage, use um, leadership, use discipline, use curiosity, you know, try these things to kind of inspire you to, to say, what am I going to connect to today to look at something differently and get a different perspective if you're frustrated, you know, if you're feeling like I'm going to just scream, <laughs> but, mm-hmm. but you have to get that perspective because like you said, when, once you understand that and you say, okay, take a deep breath, it's all going to be fine. What's my purpose, you know, and, and, when, and I'm going to compare Simon Sinek again, but when we talk about the infinite mindset versus, you know, the finite game, and so mm-hmm. this is something you're preparing yourself to be. It's like, it's, it's who you are. It's the career. It's the calling, right? So you're not just in a career doing this for a certain time. It's the calling of your purpose to be able to have emotional intelligence in your life. Uh, and, and so many people just need to tap into what this journey is about so you can be successful in everything in your life, not just a certain segment. Yeah, I think it's really helpful for us to perhaps look at our life as an evolution. Mm -hmm. If we happen to look at our life as I'm trying to achieve these goals, I'm trying to, you know, change some of my behaviors. And when I get there, I'm done. Then our emotional intelligence will stop Mm -hmm. growing. Mm -hmm. If we can look from the perspective of I am an evolution continually learning about myself, continually challenge myself to be authentic, continually challenging myself to connect with other people, continually challenging myself to elevate to the next level of enlightenment, consciousness, spirituality, whatever sort of label you want to put on it. That enables us to then spend the time that's necessary for EQ development. And the time that's necessary for EQ development is often in solitude. It's in reflection and objectively looking at events and interactions we've had, how we responded to them, what we thought about them, how we felt in them, then how we behaved. And when we do that work in solitude, what we're able to do is challenge what we're doing and how we're going about doing it based on who we really want to be in the world, not how we want to be in the world. Who do we want to be? What's the legacy? Mm-hmm. And that I think is, you know, where Simon Sinek's work is talking about, can you get to the core of your purpose? Mm-hmm. And that purpose is often not decided even by us we can get there but oftentimes other people help us figure out what our purpose is it's what I really love about his exercise on you know what's your why Mm -hmm. and his exercise really involves talking to people that know you well and asking them this question around like why am I why are you my friend why am I your friend Mm -hmm. (laughs) and he's got a great podcast people can go right directly to his website and find this exercise and start to 
tap into and explore like what is my purpose and other people might use the language and you know what's your superpower when you're with other people what is it that they get from you that makes them want to come back and be with you that is your purpose the role we decide to do it in the hat we want to wear mom dad sibling boss employee salesperson you know retail whatever those those are just roles those aren't our purpose those are ways that we choose to work or be that express our purpose mm-hmm. but our purpose is constant And what a great time for people that are listening to this to think about what have we experienced during the last 17 weeks of COVID-19? You know, how are we doing things differently? How do we want to show up? And what can we learn about ourselves so that we can really take on that challenge to say, I want to lead a purposeful life instead of just showing up as that role like you just mentioned, and, and, and a lot of people are, are really struggling with this right now, Teresa. Mm-hmm. I think because a lot of people believe that their purpose must be expressed in their work. Mm-hmm. And that's not true. Sometimes what we choose to do for work is fulfilling and meaningful. It helps us bring home a paycheck that allows us to put a roof over our head, uh, take vacations, food on the table, clothing on our back. But it isn't an expression of our purpose. And so we have hobbies or community work or social, like work elsewhere that is fulfilling of our purpose. And we may or may not get paid for that. But so that's where I think oftentimes people will get stuck. And you are so right. There has been one of the, mm, ah, that's the only way I can describe it. (laughs) (laughs) One of the like clouds parting sun shining byproducts of COVID-19 is that everyone's emotions have been amplified to the nth degree. So the debate over do our emotions impact our ability to perform is over. Yes, we've seen it time and again, day in and day out over the last 17 weeks. Mm -hmm. They absolutely do impact our performance. And that emotional information hopefully for some people has given them the nudge that they've needed to pay attention to why am I emotionally triggered by now needing to work from home with my kids at home? What is happening underneath that? What is, what do I believe that is saying about myself when I get angry, when I get interrupted by a family member and the family member is just looking for my help. They don't mean anything negative by it why am I getting angry and responding with with venom oh it turns out I have a belief that if I am not at my computer doing work pumping out work from nine to five without interruption if I don't put the numbers up on the board I am not worthy Mm -hmm. and because I have that belief Anyone that interrupts that work is going to trigger an emotional response of anger. And it turns out in anger, I respond like that. Mm-hmm. So this whole, like what you said earlier, is like emotional intelligence is like this beast of a thing that has such a broad spectrum of application. And it's so important. If we want for our, 
your listeners just sort of whittle it down. Where do I start? Because mm-hmm. that sounds like a lot. Mm-hmm. Where we start is with emotional self-awareness. That is the foundation of anything else related to emotional intelligence and EQ skills. We have to understand what triggers our emotions and what beliefs and experiences and thoughts about ourselves we've attached to that emotion. And then we have to begin to challenge, are those beliefs and thoughts and are those true? Are they real? Where's the proof that what I'm believing is actually real? And do I want to change what I believe so that I can evolve, so that I can live in my purpose, Mm. so that I can live in my values? And everyone I've worked with, when I ask them that question and we do these exercises around emotional self-awareness has always answered that question with, yes, I want to change that. And as soon as we say, yes, I want to change that, I want to challenge those things, then we start to do things differently. We start to believe differently about ourselves. When we believe differently about ourselves, we start to do things differently with other people. And that is our evolutionary process. Mm, That's so true. You know, for people that are out here listening right now, you think about the people that you've watched change in your life and you say, how did you do that? And, and so many times we talk in leadership about borrowing someone else's beliefs until you actually believe it your own. And so I think, you know, if you guys can right now close your eyes and borrow Teresa's beliefs of what she's talked to you about and think about what would it look like if I could, if I could change that one belief, if I could change that one trigger, if I could change that one idea what kind of a life could I have? How fulfilled that freedom to be able to step into that. And now, right now, is the opportunity more than any other time in the world. Whatever phase you are in your life, you can take back that control and step into your purpose. And I was just kind of perusing through your website here, and I wanted to make sure that people really understood You've got these workbooks, these workshops uh, that are available that they can, right now, they could go to. Uh, and it's mm. self-guided. It's so if they're really inspired by the things that we've been talking about, my goodness, go go grab these and connect to Teresa because she's an expert. I, I heard you speak live and I thought, oh my goodness, we're going to be connected for life. <laughs> <laughs> because <laughs> because what you say is so just, you know, methodically true. And we all want to say, I want to do better, but I'm not willing to change. And so taking that first step is sometimes the hardest. And if you can do it with somebody that's like you, that can give them that confidence to go, it's going to be okay, but I'm going to walk right beside you. I'm going to hold your hand. And you've been doing this for so long. And what you've learned is so powerful. Yes, it's because I've done it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I started my emotional intelligence journey when I was 24. And the moment I decided that I did not want to behave the way I was behaving with just one person, at the time it was my mother. My, my mother at the time, I believed, triggered 
my emotional responses of anger and, and speaking cruelly. And I never did it with any other person, only her. So I created this great story that she was the problem mm-hmm. and blamed her. It's pretty easy to blame your mother. Many people can probably relate mm-hmm. to having done that or your father or really blame anyone for how you're feeling. And one day I heard myself say it back to myself, I can't change it. I I can't be any different. And hearing it back, I thought, well, that's a load of BS. (laughs) Of course I could do something different. (laughs) And that was the pivot point of starting to learn about my emotional intelligence, doing the emotional work, doing the I don't want to say hard work. I want to say uncomfortable work, which oftentimes will feel hard. But discomfort is, I mean, it's part of our life from the moment we come out of the womb. Mm -hmm. The experience of being born is uncomfortable. Why do you think babies are crying? (laughs) Right? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And the experience of learning to speak is uncomfortable. You can see babies with sort of that frustration trying to get their tongue right. The, the, the experience of learning to walk, the experience of learning to hold something, of feeding yourself. Like we know, We're so used to being uncomfortable, but then we learn to tell the story that being uncomfortable is bad and hard. And the truth is, it isn't. It's where we're supposed to be. As human beings, we're constantly growing and evolving. Discomfort is the norm. This might be a challenging question to ask yourself. Are you feeling comfortable? Something's a problem. Something is wrong. If you're feeling comfortable, (laughs) that's the problem. (laughs) We like to grow. We like to evolve. We're simply telling ourselves that we don't. Mm Well, and I think for most of the listeners today, and maybe every single person that's listening is saying, well, what I've been experiencing these last few months have been really uncomfortable. And I've learned that there are new things that are triggering me. However, I still don't know myself, right? Because I've had to teach the kids online. I've had to still, you know, do all those things and show up online for work. I've had to still be the spouse and cook the meals and figure out how to wear a mask and go to the grocery store. (laughs) And so you think it's a lot of pressure, but you still haven't taken the time to reflect on yourself. And so why I think it's so important, Teresa, for my listeners to connect to you is because you really, like you said, from 24 years old, have been studying this, this whole concept. And you have been so successful in, in communicating this message. And so if they're feeling like they need to just set the clock, reset, and start over, you're a great person for them to just reach out to and, and start that journey. Thank you. I, I appreciate that. I've, that's why I develop content every day. And that's why I put it on my YouTube page, which is just Teresa Quinlan, is because I want as many people as possible to be able to grab it for free if they'd like to start their journey. If they want a coach to guide them through and collapse time a little bit. I mean, when we do things self-directed, it it sometimes takes a little bit longer for us to get there. If you're wanting to move faster than you would normally move on your own, that's what a coach is for is, you know, they'll challenge you and, and hold you accountable and move you forward 
faster than what you would do on your own to results that potentially you didn't even think you could get. Um, so that's, that's a great way, I think, for people to start is seek out some material and, and start that process of really looking. And when you decide, I want more, I want someone to help, then by all means, reach out. Mm -hmm. Wow, Teresa, this has been quite a journey with you. I absolutely love this time that we've been able to spend together today. I really appreciate you. I, I respect you tremendously. Uh, in everything that you're doing. And I love celebrating you uh, personally, because I think it's tough to step out on your own and just say, hey, this is what I've experienced. And, and I know that it can help because I'm a product of it. <laughs> so uh. I, I just, I absolutely love you. And uh, how can, how can my guests get a hold of you? How can the listeners find you? Well, thank you, Melanie. The feeling is mutual. When we met in real life, it because we had spent just a smidgen of time online together, it, it was an explosive sort of meeting. It was very, it was very heart-based and it was very easy to then feel that connection on a much deeper level. So I, I'm grateful to have spent this time with you as well. And I'm grateful for our continued friendship. If anyone would like to, to be in touch, LinkedIn is a great way to be in touch with me. My website, which is iqeqtq.com, has all of my contact information. So a simple message or exploring what's available as far as services go is, is certainly available there. Hmm. Teresa, thank you so much. Thank you for inspiring us and especially... Thank you for being an everyday leader in the world and one that is going to help us change our world. So thank you. You're welcome. You're welcome. This has been a Joe Studios production.